do I think he's a fit? No, I, I don't. Would I like to see it? Yes. Yes, I would. And it goes back to the romanticism of it. Uh, and this is part of that, too. I, I still believe I know what the numbers look like. And I know what he wants, too. And, and Joe Madden doubled down on that and said that, you know, Albert wants to play. I'd love to see the reaction of fans at Bush Stadium when that guy came up to the plate. Uh, I, I, and I still believe in the magic of baseball. I still believe that, like, if you put him in that uniform and you brought him back, like, I, I feel like something crazy might just end up happening. When I look at the team and I look at the the opportunities that would be out there for Albert on, on this club, I don't necessarily see it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball brought to you by Closets by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould, joined this week by a voice and a name that Cardinal Nation all knows, whether it's from his work on the mound with 201 appearances in the major leagues, his role with the Cardinals as a fireman coming out of the bullpen, um, his scoreless streak as a starter in the minors, or now as a co-host of a Drive Time Show at 101 FM WXOX, or as, you know, everybody's favorite analyst on Bali Sports Midwest, Brad Thompson. Brad, thank you so much for joining me. Derek, I appreciate you having me, and, I, and your check's in the mail for the very nice intro. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks. I pre- yeah, I, I look forward to that. Do, do, do people still send checks through the mail? You know what? Honestly, I'm not sure if I know how to write a check anymore. It's been a while. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I'll yeah. Venmo you. It's it's interesting. We used to talk about like the first and the fifteenth of the month when the when the ball players would get their checks, but now it's just direct deposit, right? Yeah, everything everything just happens and it magically is there. I, I remember getting my first major league check, Derek, and I was never like a, a bonus baby. I didn't make a ton of money out of the draft. And I remember getting my first check. It was the most money I've ever had in my life. So I took that to the bank and I was very excited to deposit that. And then the next two paychecks just stayed in my carry-on bag for like two months <laughs> because I, I just never got back to the bank and I didn't need any more money. So I, I'm very thankful for uh, direct deposit again. Yeah, no, I can imagine. Hey, I I have so much that I want to talk to you about because of what has happened in the last, you know, week and a half with the Cardinals. There's some insight that you can offer just about pitching and pitching inside and pitching up and in. Um, then, of course, the news broke on Thursday, the day before we're recording this, that Albert Pujols was going to be DFA'd, a teammate of yours, um, who I know you admire greatly. And then, of course, there's the current team, which kind of found its – it's footing a little bit, even though it split a series with the Mets, um, walked the Mets to a victory in the series finale there. And now here comes the Colorado Rockies for their reunion with Nolan Arenado. So lots to get to. But I want to start first, Brad, if you'll permit me, back on the mound in 2009. The Cardinals are facing the Mets. Albert Pujols has had six hits against the Mets. He's doing what Albert Pujols does against other teams. Ryan Ludwig was playing well at that time. Both of them had been hit by pitches. You're on the mound. David Wright, all-star Captain America, is in the box, and you're instructed to throw inside. Can you right, I think that's right. Can you take me there to that mound and what's going through your mind? Well, I, I remember a couple of things. Uh, I remember, first of all, any time in a game, and you know this, Derek, uh, covering the Cardinals for as long as you did and knowing the intensity of Tony La Russa, knowing the greatness of, of Albert Pujols and those two things colliding in any game where Albert gets hit, 
the tensions rise a little bit, right? <laughs> like there, there's yeah. a heightened sense of awareness in a game like that. And uh, you do know in a situation like that where, you know, that guy gets hit and, and this we'll get into this part of the conversation um, when it pertains to this Cardinal team and them hitting some batters recently. Oftentimes, it, it doesn't matter what you're trying to do. It matters what happens, right? It's the end result that, that ends mm. up being a thing. Uh, and uh, the end result, Albert in that ball game uh, ended up getting hit. And I knew going against the Mets anyhow, and specifically Captain America, David Wright, who I have a profound respect for, and I, I wish his career wasn't cut short because I think he had a lot more to give. Uh, but I knew you, you had to pitch in on him anyhow to get mm. him out. Uh, but I also knew, and you know as a player, you don't have to have a manager order the code red. I also knew that you're probably going to end up getting your pound of flesh in that game. So I was trying to go very, very inside on David Wright. And uh, I knew in that spot, and I, I know this, like every pitcher knows, if you're trying to go super inside, maybe you're trying to, to go in there and get, uh, get a little retaliation or at least let them know that you're thinking about it there's a right place and a wrong place to do it. And the right place, you know, uh, the back, the hip, the, the leg. I, I thought actually the Phillies against the Cardinals, fast forwarding a little bit, did a very good job of uh, getting their retaliation uh, on a, uh, Nolan Arenado. Uh, but I missed in a bad spot, and I threw a baseball way over David Wright's head to the backstop. And uh, while Tony La Russa is a fan of you sticking up for your teammates and he'll fight for his teammates uh, forever. He'll fight for his players. If, if you play for Tony, he'll fight for you. Um, Tony was none too happy to fight for me after where I missed uh, on, on uh, David Wright on a pitch up over his head because, uh, and I, I still, uh, I, I still feel bad about where the spot was up over his head. Thank goodness I didn't hit him. Fortunately, mm -hmm. I got him to hit him into a double play. It actually worked out okay for me. Uh, but you can never miss there, and Tony was always adamant. Like, you can't throw there on people. You can't throw near the head. You can't throw up. Uh, you just can't do it. First of all, it's just not safe. And second of all, when you do, our guys are going to be in trouble. Like you mm. always have to be thinking about your own teammates. So I vividly remember after that one and after getting out of that inning, Tony, Tony giving me what for, and rightfully so, for the, uh, the area that I missed. I remember talking to Ron Renicky up with when he was the manager of the Brewers, and they had a similar event kind of with the Cardinals, only it was even more uh, bitter. And, you know, you probably recall this Mott was involved. Um, Ryan Braun was involved and Albert, of course, was involved. And his point was you have to get sort of like what you said about David Wright, that to get Albert Pujols out, you have to pitch in. It's one of the reasons why, like, Wandy Rodriguez had success crazy against Albert Pujols was he, that he just had a better angle um, coming from the left side to get inside on Albert Pujols. And Renicky's point was, we're going to pitch in and we're going to do it unapologetically. And we if we hit him, then that's just part of pitching in. It, what's the line that that goes from, okay, you need strategically to pitch in to then just moving a half an inch over and you need to send a message in? And how fine a line is that to walk? 
Well, I, I think it's a very fine line to walk, and I think it's one that not everybody can walk. And uh, unfortunately, we, we see it now more than ever, Derek, is you got guys that throw 95 to 100 miles an hour and don't know how to effectively pitch inside. Like they've just mm-hmm. never really done it before or just haven't had the reps. And, and there is the difference between there's a big difference between the strike on the inner half, the ball just inside, and then the one that is really meant to move the, the hitter's feet. It's, it's all about your release point. It's all about your mechanics. It's all about consistently being able to get it in there. And, you know, to, to shorten up the answer a little bit, I, I don't think that it's for everybody. I, I think that there are certain guys that know that they can pitch in and do so effectively. And then there are other guys that are always so focused on maybe down and away or mm-hmm. they're, they're breaking ball down and away, whether it be a righty against a righty or a lefty against a lefty, that when you ask them to set their sights that much further in, the arm drops, and then all of a sudden it ends up being in the danger zone. And that part of things, you know, is just not not good for baseball. What, what were you thinking as you watched that week, week and a half? I guess it was two weeks on spool for the, for the Cardinals. I mean, the, you know, the Harper and the Gregarious moments are going to get a lot of attention. Obviously, Harper got hit in the face. Uh, Gregarious then on the next pitch hit in the ribs by Yenesis Cabrera um, earlier in the uh, season, you know, India, the rookie with the Reds got hit. And then, of course, they go up to Pittsburgh and it's stallings, um, different situations, different pitchers, different things. But is it is it hard for opponents not to kind of see through the results kind of as you implied uh, or as you stated and see that there was an intent? If, if there's a number of them, does it just kind of blur the eyes a little bit? I think it does. I, I do because I, and I try to, and I and I would encourage your uh, you know your listeners to the podcast to try to think of it the other way around. If if this was a team uh, that did that to the Cardinals, if it happened, right. would you be okay with the hey, my bad, I didn't mean to, but you just hit my guy in the face, and then you hit another guy in the ribs, and we're just supposed to say, oh, oh we're good then, you didn't mean to? Like, there's consequences and there's repercussions to it. So when, when all of that went down, first and foremost, and it, a few guys got hit hard, as you mentioned, uh, thinking about uh, thinking about Bryce Harper, like, and think, uh, the fact that he was able to walk off uh, under his own power was unreal. Yeah. And the fact that he reached out to Shilty and to Hennessy's Cabrera about that say hey if you want to talk i'm here i mean what a what a guy because derek i don't know about you but if i got hit with a 97 in the face i'm not sure that's the first thing i'm thinking about doing is an olive branch out to the other team and we know yeah. cabrera had, he's not trying to do that he's not trying to hurt anybody he's not trying to hit anybody in the face and he certainly wasn't trying to hit the next guy either but he did like those things ended up happening and then as you mentioned stallings gets hit uh you, you have jonathan india before all of that you do end up, whether whether you believe it to be like a, a thing that is real, and I don't, the Cardinals aren't a bunch of headhunters. They don't have guys that are going out there trying to hit people, but they did hit some guys. And I do think that reputation follows you around a little bit. And I, I also think that teams have long memories and they will, you know, they'll get their retaliation at some point, or they'll at least send a message and move some feet and there will be some, uh, you know, some back and forth, but I don't think that's a bad thing either. Maybe that's the old mm. school part of me, Derek, where, where I look at this and I am a firm believer that the game will police itself. And I think that the players have a good enough idea of when is the right time to send a message or when is the right time to react or, you know, uh, just, just different scenarios. The, the players know managers know, 
But I, I also, now talking out of both sides of my mouth, I understand what umpires are trying to do and the league is trying to do too because they're trying to protect their stars and they're trying to keep it all under wraps. But I don't think uh, I don't think Shilty would have been so happy in the same situation if uh, you know his guys got hit twice and then all of a sudden the umpires come out and, all right, warning, you get warned, you yeah. get warned. It's like, what do you mean we get warned? We just got dotted twice and we have a warning now and now our guys can't even pitch inside because if they do, uh, then they hit somebody accidentally, then they're out of this ball game. That's tough because going back to something that, that you mentioned earlier and, and you know me throwing against David Wright or throwing against the Mets or any big hitter, if you don't throw inside, if you don't establish that you can do that, you're dead in this league. You are mm. dead because they will just lean over the plate. They'll there there will be no worry about anything on the inner half. Uh, so all of a sudden, the warnings end up taking something away from the opposition that probably didn't need to happen. Did, did you ever have a teammate come up to you and say, "Hey," or maybe you saw this a teammate go up to another pitcher and say, "Hey, you're putting us in jeopardy." Yeah, no, it happened to me. Uh, so uh, we were in Milwaukee, and I ended up hitting Prince Fielder. And uh, man, I'm not trying to, but Prince was a guy. Prince would dive out for the sinker mm -hmm. because not a big surprise. I had two pitches and really one, and I would throw the sinker down and away to Prince a lot. I'd try to mix in the changeup. Uh, but I knew that I had to move his feet, and I threw one up and in, and it ended up catching him like in the upper back, like like got him good and he was diving on the pitch and maybe if he wasn't it wasn't going to hit him um but i was you know i i didn't care i was trying to establish what i was doing but after the game it was jim edmonds and jimmy pulled me aside he goes hey man i, I know you got to do what you got to do as a pitcher and you got to move feet and you got to protect yourself but know this you need to protect us too because you hit that guy albert's getting hit and so you might not care about him you might not care about what happens to the other guy in the other uniform but you got to care about your guys. And to me, that's something that really resonated uh, with me in a situation like that. Cause um, Derek, you probably remember, I was a bit of a hothead when I pitched, I didn't really care what happened to anybody or anything. Like I was just out there, just, just kind of chucking, but that it, it's a good reminder for a pitcher to have and a great teammate like Jimmy. And, and he always has been to say, Hey man, this is, it's bigger than you and that hitter in a spot. It's about all of us. I have many memories of Brad Thompson pitching, you know, I mean, because I was I covered your entire career there with the yeah. Cardinals, um, which I guess I can say about a lot of players now, honestly. Um, when was but, your first year, by the way, real quick? Oh, four. So You've I joined the doing it. Look at you. 04. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Ten and five rights. They can't trade me. Oh, good. Well, they wouldn't want to. Derek would be, oh, be crazy. Oh, thanks for saying that. I, my favorite Brad Thompson moment, and, I, and I've told it so much, but I think it was because it happened at spring training. Um, we could be close to the batting cage, but also it kind of revealed to me a little bit about the inner workings of how a team identifies talent and how that talent manifests in spring. This time when like, like, look, we celebrate the opening day lineup and we celebrate the opening day roster, but we both know that that's just there for one day and really what matters is like the september roster and who you're going to take into the postseason and so you see these young players like trevor rosenthal did this um adam wainwright did it and then made the opening day roster um but you see guys who make it leave an impression 
during spring who that then benefits them when that role is open or they're needed or they're ready and then they make an impact on majors and my brad thompson moment was when i think it was edmonds maybe larry walker um stepped in against you for live bp and no one else wanted anything to do with you scott Rowland walked away and said i'm not getting in there because they they saw someone foul a ball off their ankles your sinker and they're like we're done and i thought wow that is such a level of respect for a young pitcher that they're like we we don't want any part of that and it wasn't because you know and we've both seen it we've seen young pitchers go in there and they throw wild and you know, you don't want any part of that because, oh, well, these are my hands. These are my, this is my, I don't want the bruises, but they didn't want any part of you because of the movement on their, on your pitch. And- I, re- I remember that well, Derek. I remember it, and it was, uh, it was because I was nervous anyhow. It was like my first live BP in spring training, and this is 2005. And it was, it was Jim Edmonds is the guy that, that was mm. in the box. And he, he took a sinker and fouled it right off his ankle, as you remember, yep. foot or whatever. He's hobbling out of the box. I thought, oh, my God, I just broke Jim Edmonds. I'm done. Like, this <laughs> this is it. And it was Scott Rowland looked at me, and he just like, you know, Scott, like deadpan. Like, he looked at me and goes, nope, I'm yep. good. Thank you. Uh, and you're right. I wasn't all over the place, and it was a lefty. If I was going to hit anybody, it was generally going to be a, a right-hander of a sinker sailing in. Uh, but I remember the fear of thinking I, I killed Jim Edmonds and I ruined the season for the Cardinals. But then also kind of like like the excitement of, oh, man, Jim Edmonds didn't hit a home run right there and nobody else wants to hit. This is OK. You know, that was, yeah. that was a, a really fun moment. I, I I remember Roland looking at us going, nope, nope, not not doing it. <laughs> nope. Yeah, that was that was my clue into the that was my that was, that was my clue that you were uh, going to contribute if not immediately, then soon after because of what they saw. That's when sinker ballers were a thing, Derek. Yeah, yeah. So I, I do want to ask you about that, but that's going to be like the denouement of the podcast here. That's that's what we're going to work towards. And I have a really good question that great for you that builds off sinker ballers. When you're watching, you know, the, the number of hit-by-pitches, so when the Cardinals, and I, I didn't look up the numbers today, so I apologize for this, but when the Cardinals hit Stallings, three teams from the NL Central were in the top five. The NL Central has been a black and blue division. There's a lot of bruising going on. Um, not all of it Cardinals related. You know, Pirates have long had a reputation for pitching inside and being willing to hit batters as a result. Obviously, the Cubs and Reds have had their exchanges um, through the years, including this year um, with hit batsmen. Do you, you wonder if there's something, though, leading to more hit batsmen, whether it's, as you kind of you, you alluded to, the inexperience and the velocity that these young pitchers have? Yeah, Maybe it, the new new baseball or the lack of foreign substances or, or the crackdown on that? Look, I, I think the answer to this one is a lot like the answer to all of the home runs and all of the strikeouts and everything. I, I, I think that all the things that you mentioned there, Derek, probably are variables. But the first one that I do point to uh, a lot is the one that I brought up earlier is a lot of guys just not knowing exactly how to pitch inside. Now, mm-hmm. uh, you brought up the one Jonathan India, him getting hit in the head by Jack Flaherty. And Jack's not trying to do that. Jack actually... Yeah. Uh, Jack really knows how to pitch inside, and he does so well, and that's one that, that got away. I know he felt terrible about, and I know Jonathan India took exception afterwards of Jack picking over to first base, and, and Jack said, hey, man, I, I'm trying to reset. Uh, right. He was a little bit flustered in that situation, but Jack knows how to pitch inside, so I don't, I don't worry about a guy like that. 
But there are a lot of guys around the league, not just in the Central, obviously. They've come in throwing so hard, and we're streamlining pitchers now, and I understand it, but we're streamlining pitchers to the big leagues that spend like a year or so in the minor leagues. They get up because they have a big arm, and teams want to be able to maximize their value and you know get this guy's good years before you know maybe he has a surgery or maybe he loses a little bit off his fastball. But a lot of guys just don't know how to pitch yet, and I think that that ends up being part of it. When you're thinking all about stuff and when you're thinking all about velocity and throw this ball as hard as I can, well, what what is lacking? It's your command and, and where you're trying to place the ball. So I think that's number one. I, I do think that the baseballs might have something to do with it. Uh, Major League Baseball cracking down on the grip aspect might have a little something to do with it as well. I, I wouldn't think as much, and I, I don't know how much – they're really digging into this. I know that they said it was going to be a real focus, and I know that there was the piece about Trevor Bauer, and they were mm-hmm. looking into his baseballs, uh, among many others in the league. But I, I still think if you pay attention to, and I watch a lot of baseball, uh, you know, when, when I get home at nights, I watch a lot of West Coast, you still see the same old same. You still see guys going to different areas on their body a, a lot of times, and you still see you see a grip. So I, I don't think that that part of it ends up being as big of a deal right now. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, you still see the catcher walking out and the pitcher putting his hand on his shoulder. You know. Whoa, is that a thing, Derek? Did you just teach me something? That would be a great idea. No, that's you knew that's a thing. That's a fantastic idea. I never knew, Derek. That that yeah, is a good no. one. Yeah, no, I know, I know, I know that that's <laughs> that's you know, I just every so often you see like, wow, they they they're really collegial. They really get along, and it's like, okay, yeah, no, I see something else going on. It's not He's just good. like camaraderie. Well. The mound visits ruin everything with that. <laughs> um, so, okay. So 2005, you reach the majors, pitching 40 games. 2006, you're there coming out. Um, well, you got to start in 2006 and then um, more than 40 games. Um, well, the guy who, like you said, they called on a lot to get double plays. Um, those were two remarkable Cardinal teams one for the sheer number of wins and the other for the few wins it had, but how the season ended. Um, the 2006 World Series, the marquee player from that those teams was Albert Pujols, and it was like peak Pujols. What was that like being in that clubhouse with him sort of, uh, well, manifesting as a superstar? Yeah, it, it was surreal because, first of all, just, just being in the big leagues for me was, was such an unbelievable thing. And I remember getting called up. I remember walking into the clubhouse, and this was at Bush, too. And I walk in the doors, and I still remember it like a movie. I see Albert Pujols walking past, you know, to go to the kitchen. I see, you know, Matt Morris going this way and, all, like, all of this. Scott Rowland just stars all over the place. Uh, but Albert was already at that point. I mean, because you think about – rookie year takes over drives in like 130 he was already a star a couple of years into the league and just to see him and I was fortunate enough to see the three MV uh, you know be teammates for the three MVP seasons the stuff that he did was unreal and you weren't seeing anybody else in baseball doing it there was never that expectation for any other player at least that I can remember that I played against that, oh, this guy, I don't care what you do, he's going to get a hit. Like there was always something that you could do to somebody to maybe catch him out in front or have a pitch where you could game plan for him. I don't think the uh, opposition had any of that. And be really interested 
to talk to somebody who had who was in charge, and, and I'm sure that you probably have done this, Derek. Uh, talk to somebody who's in charge of game planning for Albert Pujols in his prime and what that must have been like. But we knew that in a spot he was going to get the job done, that he was going to come in and carry the team. And Tony would manage that way too. Tony would be managing so many steps ahead. Like he'd have guys ready in the bullpen uh, and and calling down to get them ready because he knew that Albert was going to just come up in three batters and hit a two-run bomb. Like he would always be thinking ahead of time, and he could do that because you had a superstar that you knew you could rely on and was otherworldly. I'd be interested from your perspective, Derek, covering all the baseball that you you have and certainly being here in St. Louis. I mean, what have you seen that that is a comp to that? To Albert Pujols? Yeah, we don't get to see enough enough of Mike Trout, um, you know, being in the National League. You know, I'll be honest. I I think what you saw from Albert Pujols, maybe the best way to describe it, is like taking the best years we've seen, like Christian Yelich's MVP year for the Brewers and, you know, Ryan Braun's MVP year for the Brewers and Giancarlo Stanton's standout year for the Marlins and saying, imagine the same guy doing that. You know, you just pick out the best year from each year and say, okay, now wipe off the name and say the same guy did that year after year and was the best. Um, You know, I, I just... I, I think the the numbers are obviously bonkers. You know, the the falling one point one RBI shy of always being a three hundred hitter, always thirty home runs, always one hundred RBIs in every year he was a Cardinal. Um, that's just that's that's nuts. That you you know, and you, it really puts in perspective how good Albert was when you go. Well, they've gone now seven eight years without a hundred RBI guy, and he did it. You know. 99 plus 11 consecutive years. I mean, that's just, you know, he just, he was such a consistent force. And it wasn't that it was like, okay, this is the year where everything goes right and he wins an MVP. It was like, oh, here's another year where he's just, he's, he belongs in the next league up to borrow a phrase from LaRusa, you know, when he used to like chide us for questions. He's like, maybe you should be covering the next league up. Well, Albert should have played in the next league up because this one he no, I, I think that's a great way you put that, uh, Derek, with, with the, you know, trying to encapsulate all of these great seasons that we've seen and, and roll them all into one. I, I would think, too, from, from your perspective, knowing that he's going to be the story like every single game, yeah. it, it was always probably an interesting thing to come up with different creative ways to even describe what he was doing because he made something, as a teammate at least, he made like the awe inspiring become normal. Like, so, so to, to put that into text every day, I would, I would assume that would be a little challenging. Yeah. Well, yeah, sometimes it writes itself. I mean, sometimes the things he did were the first that had ever been done or were so unusual that it just kind of writes itself. Um, You know, sometimes there were times, you know, there were days where you would go to maybe a right-handed reliever with a sinker baller to ask him about Albert Pujols, because what else could Albert Pujols say about Albert Pujols? Or you would go to the other side of the, of the ballpark back when we could do that to, uh, to ask the, you know, like you said, to ask, well, what do you do here? Like, do you just put up four fingers and, uh, you know, to give them first at this point, you know, what, what do you do? And, you know, a lot of times when you talk about like the writing of a great player, you know, it writes itself. You just, better rise to the occasion which which i wanted to ask you about like where were you and i I can't believe i've not asked you this for the home run off lidge 
I was in the bullpen. I was in the bullpen for that. And and if if we were going to get to the point of most memorable Pujols moments, I, I think I would fall in a long line of people who picked that one. And I know the ending of the story was not as sweet as we expected it to be in 2005, because after that moment, we thought that we were smooth sailing. We were going to roll yeah. on to the World Series and go. And uh, the, the Astros and Roy Oswald had, had more to say about that. Uh, but, yeah, I remember being in the bullpen. And you know, you know how loud that place was that night, how loud that place could get. And you could not talk to the person next to you in the bullpen. You just couldn't. It it was that loud. And Marty Mason, the bullpen coach, had to sit with his ear right next to the phone, which had a horn on it. It was like a crazy loud horn that you would hear all around the ballpark on a normal day. But this was no normal day. And then that moment happens, and you could hear Albert running around the bases. You could hear the cleats digging into the dirt, and the the raw excitement and emotion in a moment where it's just just a wave, you know. It was one of the most cool experiences I, I've ever had. Like I remember that one vividly. I remember Adam Wainwright striking out Carlos Beltran uh, mm-hmm. for the final out in, in uh, Game Seven of the NLCS in 06. I remember, you know, Adam. Uh, getting the last batter out for the world series. But like, those are the memories uh, that, that you really remember. And it was, it was, it was unreal. It, it's a highlight that I never get tired of seeing. It, I, Albert once described it as the only home run he hit. He told us this, that it was the only home run he hit where he could hear his cleats crunch the dirt. <laughs> yeah, everybody which I, could. Yeah. Which probably spoke to the power in which he walked a little bit <laughs> that he could make that much noise. But you're right. I mean, that, that it was he. I'm always struck by the position players who can cross the aisle, so to speak, and influence pitchers. You know, it's it's the rare pitcher. Adam Wainwright is one that crosses the aisle and is a leader for the position players. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would. And, you know, they're kind of the clubhouse is kind of bicameral. It has the pitchers and the position players. But Pujols crossed the aisle, right? Whether he said anything to a pitcher or not, there was an expectation that pitchers had because of what he set maybe by example. Yeah, I would think that with Albert, I know, he was just one of those guys where you you knew that if, if he was speaking, you were going to listen. If he was working, you kind of watch it and you see it. And another one, and this is just kind of part of being a team, but he was otherworldly. You just don't want to let him down, you know, and Mm. that's kind of how it always felt with him. And while he, you know, Albert did his work, came to the ballpark, did his work. He wasn't like the loud clubhouse guy all the time, but he cared about his teammates and it wasn't just the position players. And it wasn't Lanny, like, Oh, buddy, buddy, Albert and Yachty. It's just those guys. No, he cared about his guys. If anybody ever needed anything, you knew that you could go to Albert, whether you be a pitcher or a, or a position player, he'd be there for you. He'd care. He'd seek you out at every, you know, if he felt like he needed to tell you something, but he was absolutely one of those guys that could cross the aisle. So then we get to the angels, you know, they're preparing to release him in the final year of his contract there. He leaves after the 2011 world series, leaves St. Louis as a free agent for this blockbuster deal. Um, that includes a 10 year personal services contract that has probably got a lot of attention it's just not, it's just comes at the end of retirement. It's not going to limit him in doing anything with the Cardinals red coat or hall of fame or any of that stuff. It's just means that he'll be an employee of the angels at that time. And that'll be part of the factor, but he's now out there on the verge of being a available as a free agent 
for the prorated minimum. Do you think he's a fit for the Cardinals? Would you like to see a reunion, Brad? How do you balance sort of the the romance of that notion with the baseball of that notion? Yeah, you just asked two questions that I had two different answers for. What, do I think do I think he's a fit? No, I, I don't. Would I like to see it? Yes, yes, I would. And it goes back to the romanticism of it. Uh, and this is part of that too. I, I still believe I know what the numbers look like, and I know what he wants too. And and Joe Madden doubled down on that and said that you know Albert mm-hmm. wants to play. If if he was okay with taking a secondary role, he'd still be an angel at this point. I think that we we could all kind of agree to that. Who knows, though? Maybe a little bit of time to think. Maybe that changes your mind a little bit. Uh, but I would love to see him. I'd love to see the reaction of fans at Bush Stadium when that guy came up to the plate. Uh, I, I, and I still believe in the magic of baseball. I still believe that, like, if you put him in that uniform and you brought him back, like, I, I feel like something crazy might just end up happening. And it just comes back to the stories that are always written and, and the superhuman that Albert was in this uniform. I don't know why, there's, but there's something about me that just feels like something great would happen. But I look at the team and I look at the, the opportunities that would be out there for Albert on, on this club, I don't necessarily see it. Like, I, I don't. He, he's. We know that he's limited defensively. You know that you have one of the best first basemen in the game in Paul Goldschmidt. And if he wants to play a lot and get every day at bats, well, there are probably – well, American League is the best option, I would think, yeah. to get all those at bats. And there are two teams in the Central that honestly make a little bit more sense than the Cardinals do. I think the Brewers and the Reds, you know, make, make more sense than St. Louis does right now. Interesting. Why, why do you say that? Well, I mean, the Brewers right now, you got Keston Hira, who they sent down. They got Vogelbach who is uh, uh, who who is out or he's out he's playing there every day but I, I I feel like I would rather go with the upside of Albert there if I had to pick between two players put him in a very mm. hitter friendly ballpark let him pop some up and get get him out I would take a chance at the minimum there and with Joey Votto I mean he's he's set to miss a month right now so he's gonna be out another right. hitter friendly ballpark that that Albert knows really well like I just kind of feel like both of those places could he, he offer more uh, more of playing time for Albert, more at bats for Albert, and seem like better fits. But my goodness, Derek, wouldn't that look weird? You got Albert yeah. Pools. We waited so long for him to come back and have that magical moment of the home run that he hit and, and the ovation, the curtain call for a road player that I don't recall ever happening before. And then he would be in the division playing for another team. That feels a little weird to even speculate about. And I don't even know if anybody else, you know, in the national league specifically in the central would kick the tires, but it was just something I was thinking about looking in the division and the fit for the Cardinals yeah. the fit for other team. The right side of the infield of Colton Wong and Albert Pujols for the Brewers might be tricky for Cardinal fans. That might hurt a little bit, but if the Cardinals keep taking care of their business, you don't have to look at other people's yards, Derek, you just take care of yours, make sure it's well <laughs> manicured. I understand that. Yeah. One of, one of the, uh, one of the feats of hitting that I saw Albert Pujols do of the many, which I'm, I'm sure you saw even more was uh, at Miller park where he was talking about, he this was during BP and was telling us how much he liked hitting there and was, you know, talking about the batter's eye and how, how clear it looks. And you hear this from other hitters and you hear it from pitchers who don't like pitching there, but just the, the, the backdrop there is very, um, appealing for hitters and he goes yeah I just love hitting here and he tossed a ball up tossed it up swung and hit it off the scoreboard 
<laughs> That's it's it's stuff like that. It sounds like Paul Bunyan, right? It sounds like you're just making up a, a, a story about it, something that you watched with, with your own eyes. And that's how like that's how it felt watching games. We would joke around in the bullpen. I remember I'd be sitting next to, you know, whether it, maybe it's uh, Randy Flores and, and Albert would hit a single in a spot. And I'd be like, Flo, is he OK? He's like, I don't know, man. He must be hurt or something. You expect a double or a home run. I mean, every single time that guy was up. Were you? I apologize for not knowing this. Were you at Coors Field when he scored from second on a ground ball? Uh, you know what? Honestly, I don't even remember because I, I, I remember one of the more I just remarkable there was, things I saw. Yeah, I, I just remember Albert had like the magic cloak he would put on. <laughs> and then nobody, nobody would get him out. He he was a smart base runner, first of all, and, and not the fastest guy, but for as big as he was, he moved pretty well. But there was something about Albert Pujols that he had that baseball aura around him where he could just start running. And all of a sudden, the ball would just end up in a bad spot uh, for for the defense, and he would end up scoring. But I don't remember that play specifically. Yeah, it was uh, just a ground ball, routine ground ball, 4-3 ground ball um, at Coors Field. He was at second. Second baseman got it, looked him back, and um, – oh, I'm sorry, looked over, knew that he couldn't make the play to third. That's what it was. Couldn't get the lead runner. Turned and kind of just rainbow to throw to first, and Elbert never stopped. <laughs> And scored on it, and that was the winning run, I believe. It was it was during that. Yeah, Rick that's Yankee the magic series. cloak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that you're was right. the cloak. Well, I'd be remiss not to get your thoughts on on the Cardinals team after a real sluggish, but somewhat maybe predictable because of how conservative they were performance by the starting rotation. Once it got going, the Cardinals got going, and that that's obviously this the kind of team that they have this year if the rotation is going to continue to crank out quality starts or five plus innings three or fewer earned runs the offense is going to look a lot better the team is going to look a lot better and they're going to win a lot of series are you finding are you seeing them find their groove a little bit and it's sort of like well this is the team we thought they were going to be they're not going to get a whole lot of offense maybe from the outfield but what they do might be a, a perk might be just lanyap a little bonus um, but if you know, the middle of the order produces and Goldschmidt finds his swing. As long as the pitching is there, they'll contend. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of the blueprint, but I think that we've seen positive trends almost in every aspect of the ball club. And you're absolutely right. If you don't have good starting pitching, this team's not going to win. It's not. The first, like, 14 games of the season, if that continued, it was not sustainable. Like, they, they just mm -hmm. weren't a complete enough ball club to be able to do that. And I don't think anybody is when your, your bullpen ends up getting 50% of the innings. That's not a recipe for success, but uh, this group is getting stronger and they're getting healthy. It's nice to see miles Michaelis go out on the rehab, get the pitches in. We'll see him a couple of more times. And then hopefully he is able to slide right back into things, but that's the key. I mean, that's number one. We all know that I believe in, in the bullpen, even with the uncertainty surrounding Jordan Hicks, who, you know, is going to miss at least a month right now. I still like what they have out there, uh, but I have been really encouraged with the offense and the overall numbers are there. We all know it's it's a roller coaster ride, right? You see the 10, 10 one game, you see two the next. There there have been the ups and downs, but you have threats now. Nolan Arenado changed everything for this ball club, and that isn't mm. uh, trying to disrespect what Goldie does for you. But there was no back to something I said earlier: consequences and repercussions. Like okay, well I walk a guy. I walk Goldie. What's my consequence? Last year, there wasn't one. Now this yeah. year, there is one. There is a consequence behind it. It's Nolan Arenado, who's led the league in home runs and RBI multiple times. So 
there, there's that part of it. And then having those pieces allows other pieces to succeed. And I think we're seeing that Dylan Carlson to me is a perfect fit batting second for the Cardinals. I, I love the approach. I, I love, he talked about this and Derek, it might've even been you that, that asked him the question in a zoom. I, I don't recall, but he talked about, it might've been after the first or second game he batted second talking about the mindset and how it kind of mm -hmm. shifts a little bit hitting in that spot and basically saying that I'm trying to do anything I can to get on in that spot. And we've seen that we see him foul off pitches. We see him fight. We see him just try to get the barrel to the ball and hit a single where maybe when he was batting seventh, he'd come out of his shoes and swing yeah. and miss a little bit. I, I feel like there's a lot more there. And I do believe that he's still going to be able to unlock all the power that he has and the patience that he's learned in that two spot. So uh, that sets him up for success. And I think that what we've seen out of the outfield is encouraging, honestly. And Dylan aside, uh, O'Neal since coming back off the IL, I, we've seen good things. Yeah, seen him have the ability to drive the baseball the other way and hit the single the other way. And to me, if he's just not pull happy all the time, that's a good thing. And Harrison has been encouraging. And even if Harrison doesn't do, and I know that he's a lightning rod uh, for some mm -hmm. reason, even if he doesn't swing it incredibly well if he just is up there and he's okay when i watch him in center field everything calms down around him and he gets the stuff and i thought That's dylan a did a point. good job in center but he gets the stuff that other guys don't get to he's got a, a presence out there he commands the outfield i just feel like he he sets everything up out there so this team is heading in the right direction. Paul DeYoung is starting to hit the ball hard again because he looked lost for the first couple of weeks of the season. It's nice to see him. Huh? Yeah, no doubt. And you could just see yeah. it. You'd see a fastball down the middle, and he'd be watching it go by because he's just he's he was thinking too much. We're seeing him react mm -hmm. a little bit more. We're seeing the you know the the uh, a barrel to the ball. So I, I like that. This team's in a good spot. And they're going to continue to grow. We know that the Central is a bit of a mixed bag, and there's not going to be that one team outside of the Cardinals potentially that, that are going to run away with it. I don't know what the Cubs are going to do with the deadline, but I doubt that team looks the same. I feel the same way about the Reds, and the Brewers are kind of in a weird spot right now with Yelich being on the DL again. So I, I love where they're at, and I want to see them continue to grow. And I do hope that if we get to the point, and we're a long ways away from this, but if they get to the point where they get to the trade deadline and there is a need, you know, that need to get you over the hump, I hope that they make that move and get it because this year is as good of an opportunity as any in year one of getting Nolan Arenado to make a move for something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that they make a move not just for August, but maybe they change their look for October. Uh, be remiss not to ask the reliever what you think about the bullpen. It was jarred out of its roles and asked to do a lot there in the first two weeks of the season. Now it doesn't have Miller and Hicks, both of who are on the injured list. Miller is on his way back. Hicks is going to be a while. But you have Alex Reyes, who, you know, as much as they talk about trying to set him up for being a starter, sure seems like they're going to set him up to be a closer for a while here. They really like him in that role. Are you eager to see or do you think we'll ever see what that bullpen looks like at full strength because of the great equalizer that could be or even really, to be honest, the edge it could be in this division? 
Yeah, it definitely could be an edge, and I, I would love to, and fingers are crossed for Hicks, you know, and I hope that he's able to bounce back and we get him back at some point, hopefully on the, the lower end. But uh, I am. I'm excited about the group, and I'm excited about it. I don't want to, like, make a corresponding move with, with something that's about a month away. But when Michaelis comes back, the bullpen will get another piece. And uh, just speculating, right, if that piece ends up being John Gamble, well, look how good that guy was out of the bullpen. They are, if they're lacking anything right now out of the pen, it's the guy that can come in and be that fireman and get that ground ball. I think that John Gant could serve that role very well if they end up making that decision, or if it's somebody else, there's another, there's a lot of good arms within the rotation that could, could help out that group. And I do agree with you with Reyes. While we're, we're all excited to see what the future holds for Alex Reyes. I like having that guy locking down, ball games now do I like 12 walks in just over 15 innings no and he doesn't either and I'm sure that that's part of his game he's trying to tweak a little bit but I do like a zero ERA and I do like mm -hmm. all the saves that that he's been been racking up and I, I think that for the Cardinals throwing out that number right and it was just kind of arbitrary but they threw it out anyhow of 100 innings hey we'd like him to get there we believe that, that he can work off of that Personally, for me, and I think that organizationally, they, they probably feel this way too, throw that out the window. Like, who cares about that? If Alex Reyes, to me, Derek has a full, healthy season, mm. then he is set up to have a normal offseason, train as a starter, and come in. But right now, he is such a benefit at the back end of the bullpen. And Giovanni Gallegos is uh, – I, I really enjoy watching him and that invisible yeah. slider that he has because he gets <laughs> some of the ugliest swings out of really good hitters that we see. This group is, is going to be – a, a part of this team that is a rock throughout the season and they have been, but it helps a lot having starters get deeper into ball games. So you don't have to lean on them pretty much for the bulk of it. That's such a great point that you made because you and Wainwright both did that where you had full healthy seasons as relievers and then spent the winter training as starters and came to spring training in that role. And you guys weren't alone, but you, you two stand out to me that you guys, did that now you had track records that Alex doesn't because of injury, but it is possible. Oh, it's, it's absolutely possible. And Alex, I, I thought it could have been possible this year if they wanted to do it. Now I understand why they didn't and I get it mm -hmm. coming off of all the injuries and the lack of innings that he's had out there. But uh, Alex Ray is at the point in his career. We know he works like crazy to keep himself strong. We, we know that he's a big, strong guy. Yeah. Anyhow, I think that if he just gets through a normal workload of a season, and even if he doesn't hit that innings mark, like pitching out of the bullpen in his role, that's a lot of reps. And it's a lot of reps that we don't even count. And now I know that they take very good care of, of how many times the guy gets up and they monitor mm -hmm. every pitch out there, but it's more than we end up reading at the end of the season, right? That, that uh, of what a guy ended up getting in workload wise, I believe he'll be fine. Uh, but I also think they might end up getting to a point next year where they look at him and say, golly, he's so good as a closer. Uh, do, do we think about keeping him that way? If that's one of your decisions, uh, if that's something that you have to ponder in spring training, I think your team's in a great spot. Because if you can <laughs> not put Alex Reyes in your, knowing what he could be, you know, in your rotation next year, then you got a pretty darn good team. So you mentioned the the role of fireman, and it is kind of being sorted through right now. Uh, you know, Cody Whitley goes out in that spot, and you know he follows an impossible line. He kind of has the stuff to be that guy, 
of the role that you had, Brad Thompson, then followed by Seth Manis, who did it very well. Matt Bowman did it well. Uh, John Gant did it well. Each of these guys has a sinker. Um, Whitley adds a little horsepower. So we've seen kind of the velocity increase in that role, just like we've seen velocity increase in every role. But like the connective line between those guys who would go in like you did with runners on base and try to clean up a mess or, or deal with inherited runners is the sinker ball to get the double play as you did against David Wright to bring us back to where we began. And I wanted to get your thoughts on this. This is a debate that, that Kevin Wheeler and I had uh, on the uh, on Camel Wax, but also on the podcast here. And my argument is that to get more balls in play, baseball needs to lower the strike zone so that the sinker ball can be back in the game. I'm in, okay. Derek. Okay. All right. So I have your 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 vote of confidence on that. Don't do. You, do you, I mean, I I recognize that it's counterintuitive that say, hey, we want more offense, we want more balls in play, and I'm suggesting that you make the strike zone bigger. But wouldn't that do that if you lowered it by the width of a by the width of a baseball, just like below the knee, right? Just put it that much. Then wouldn't the sinker ball come back? I would think so because it comes back to the competitive advantage, right? Of and this is you know speaking as a former sinker ball baller, I'd like to see it back, and I, I believe in its effectiveness. But my goal, if I'm Major League Baseball, is I want all my hitters in swing mode kind of all the time. Like, I want you to be able to or ready to attack. So the idea of expanding the strike zone, I don't find it counterintuitive. I think that it ends up being something where you know in the back of your head as a hitter, hey, I got to be ready. I got to be aggressive, uh, maybe even aggressive early so I, I don't have to get to those those pitches that I don't want to hit uh, right under the zone a little bit later. No, I, I like the idea. Yeah, I mean, that that more hard ground balls, the shift starts to go away. Um, you know, it doesn't take away the elevated fastball, which can still exist. And, you know, but it does alter, you know, a hitter's ability to reach with a launch angle. I just I think it, I know it doesn't make sense and I know it's kind of backwards, but to get more balls in play, force hitters to cover more of the zone. Yeah, and uh, I do think that we're at a point, Derek, I know you've covered this uh, a lot and have looked at it from a lot of different lenses, but right now the way that players are getting paid for what they do, so pitchers, it's you're getting paid for strikeouts. Hitters, you're getting paid for right. slugging, right? You're getting paid for doubles, home runs. Um, and the way the teams are building themselves, you're trying to find all of these pieces that can do that. There's no reason for players to change what they're doing right now. That's how they're getting paid. As frustrating and as maddening as it can be for some fans who see the shift and it's like, oh, why don't you just hit a ground ball over there? Because I'm getting paid to hit a double or a home run, and that's what, where, where it's going to be. I, I think your idea is among others, and I hate some of the ideas that Rob Manfred has thrown out there, but you almost have to re-legislate the game to change how players play it because there's no incentive at all for them to change what they're doing right now. It's a great point, and imagine – if you will, there are more hard ground balls in play and the Cardinals have a guy like Nolan Arenado um, from a color commentator perspective and a pace of play and an action perspective. Imagine what that would do. Uh, it, it would be fun. And that's what baseball should be all the time. It should be fun. It should be action. We have baseball players right now that have better skill sets. They're bigger, stronger, faster than we've ever seen them before. 
but we don't get to see those skill sets shown off because the ball's very rarely in play. And and this is a perfect time to be having this conversation after a game like yesterday where the Cardinals <laughs> end up walking 11 batters in a ball game, which is like mind-boggling that that yeah. happens. You're going to have some days where you're off, but boy, that that was one of those days. That was like one of and Dan and I would talk about it during the game. We talked about it, you know, in, in commercials. Look at your infield. Like, look at this group that you had. I'd want to keep those guys as busy as I could possibly no keep them. And uh, I, that's one of my favorite aspects of the game. Like, I love, like, a, a one nothing pitcher's duel, and I don't care if it's strikeouts back and forth. Like, I, I really enjoy that. I love watching defense, though. I enjoy watching Scott Rowland you know, from the mound or from, you know, the dugout watching it. I know people love watching him at home. I, I love watching Colton Wong do what he did with the Cardinals and now with the Brewers. And I love watching Nolan Arenado. To me, that stuff is exciting to watch those skill sets, but you got to put the ball in play to get an opportunity to see those. I agree wholeheartedly, and I I couldn't have said that better. I mean, I, I'm I'm – I'm excited because I got Brad Thompson on my side, but also because of all the reasons that I articulate. I mean, my favorite place to watch a game from in the stands is behind third base because you have this great view of what the third baseman does on balls hit scorching hard. And you also have a good view of the range a second baseman has. I just, I enjoy watching the infield play and do something amazing. You know, the, the idea that you go to a baseball game with the chance to see something you've never seen before, 11 walks is not that draw. <laughs> you don't no. want that to be the thing you've never seen before. You want to see the diving play. You want to see the over-the-shoulder catch. You want to see the Arenado experience, not the, uh, not, the, not the trot to first. Yeah, I want to see movement, Derek, and I want to see expectation. I want to see the players always moving around and them expecting that the ball is going to be hit to them. And during that ball game yesterday, and again, uh, just timing, right, a after that one, there was no movement and there was very little expectation that a ball was going to be hit to anybody. Brad, this has been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for taking this time. I got to tell people quickly about our sponsor here, Imagine Your Home Totally Organized, Closet by Design of St. Louis, can help you get organized today. Get organized with Closet by Design of St. Louis. Update your closet, garage, office, pantry, and more. Call 1-800-BY-DESIGN, 1-800-B-Y-D-E-S-I-G-N. So 10 years ago, when I'm interviewing in the clubhouse, you you thought, yeah, both of us are going to do live reads in 10, or I guess 15 years ago. Goodness gracious. 15 years ago, we're looking at each other. I'm asking you about a sinker ball and uh, maybe a double player. Maybe I'm asking you about David Wright and that pitch. And we're both going, yeah, we're going to do live reads, right? We'll, we need to be good at live reads 15 years from now. That was that was on both of our minds, right? Yeah, for sure. And by the way, you nailed your live read in the beginning yeah. and the end. You, you killed Thanks. it. That was great. Uh, and yeah, hey, here, here's my thing. I'm at least, I'm just happy to still be talking about baseball at this point in my life. But yeah, never thought that this would be, uh, th this would be the future. But I'll tell you what, I I'm loving it. And I, I appreciate all your work, Derek. I know you're always at the ballpark. You're always right. And you're always uh, doing something that, that helps forward the story. So, so thank you very much for what you do. And I'll continue to read, continue to listen. I enjoy being on the podcast today. I appreciate this. And thank you so much for your, uh, expertise through the years both when you were wearing the uniform but also afterwards as i turn to you with questions i mean i i appreciate guys who are helping me learn more about the game and i i'm excited that now cardinal fans here for the last few years have heard you on valley sports have heard you on the fast lane on 101 fm wxox and you get a chance to to hear more about kind of 
what the view is from the mound. And you do such a great job of bringing fans into the interior dialogue of the game. And that's something that uh, writers like I try try to do. Um, but it, it, it's far more authentic when the person who's actually been standing there does it. So thanks for that, Brad. Well, and if, if we can keep bringing people to this game, because I know that that is your goal, right? Keep people interested yeah. in it. That's my goal as well. We got we got to, I, I want my kids watching. I want them excited to play. I was so pumped up the other day, Derek. I was playing uh, with my son in the backyard. He was hitting. I go, dude, why do you, why are your hands like that? He said, that's how Dylan Carlson holds his hands. I say, yes, <laughs> yes, dude, you're doing it. Uh, that's so that's great. the goal. So. Uh, we'll keep bringing people to the game, and uh, hopefully we'll have some great stuff to talk about. For former Cardinals reliever and current Cardinals broadcaster Brad Thompson, I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. This has been the best podcast in baseball. You can find it wherever you get your podcast on iTunes, Stitcher. It's available at stltoday.com along with all the constant Cardinals covered. You can listen to Brad Thompson at 101 FM WXOX. You can find it on the web. Listen live to the fast lane there and all of his daily commentary on the sports world. But a lot of baseball talk. Let's be honest. It's St. Louis. A lot of baseball talk. So you can find him there at 101 FM WXOX with the fast lane. Brad, thanks again for joining me. We'll talk to everybody soon.